Welcome to ACE Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in as we elevate clinical endocrinology by taking deep dives into trends and topics that can help us improve our patient care and global health. Find the latest episodes on aace.com podcasts. And now let's meet the endocrine experts who will be talking with us today. Hello and welcome. My name is Vitul Hatipolu. I'm a professor of medicine at Case Western Reserve and a center director for diabetes and obesity center at the University Hospitals. Today, I have the pleasure to have Dr. Elliot Brinton to talk about a hot topic, triglycerides and cardiovascular health. Dr. Brinton is a past president of American Board of Clinical Lipidology and currently serves as a president of Utah Lipid Center. Thank you, Elliot, for coming today. Thank you for the opportunity. I look forward to this. You know, in the last few years, we had amazing information and just fun, I would say, more than ever in triglyceride world, which actually started with the REDUCE-IT trial. Would you like to tell us a bit your point of view and what you think about REDUCE-IT? Well, I have to start with a disclosure that I am a member of the executive steering committee of that trial. I was involved with this for many, many years. It was, I think, around September or so of 2018 that we got the top line. And very surprising, even to me as a member of the steering committee, that it was so dramatically positive. I have a little sidebar I want to give you. As a member of the steering committee, and as really, I don't know, one of a very small number of people that were card-carrying lipidologists, as the only endocrinologist on the whole steering committee, I had looked carefully at the data on phenofibrate and niacin, and the fact that in many cases, it seemed that the higher the triglyceride within the moderate range, the more likely there was going to be benefit with these agents, with either fibrate or, or with niacin. And our criteria were actually allowed triglycerides in a lower range. Officially, the lower cutoff was a triglyceride of 150, and then we allowed it to be within 90% of that, so meaning down to 135. And halfway through the trial, I was just getting very nervous. I thought, what if all of our effort goes down in flames because we've included too many people with triglycerides below 200? You know, 200 has been a a common cutoff in many of these trials. And in the subgroup analyses, specifically of Accord Lipid, it seemed that the higher you went in the triglyceride range, the more likely benefit. And of course, the problem with Accord Lipid was that it was uh, negative overall. There was no benefit from phenofibrate, very disappointing to those of us that uh, like the fibrates. So I was the one who initiated the change that we had midway through the recruitment to restrict recruitment to patients with a triglyceride of 200 or higher. And so halfway through recruitment, we cut off that bottom end of our recruitment. And so we only ended up with 10% of our patients with a fasting baseline triglyceride of 135 to 150. Well, just to show you how smart, with quotes around it, I was, (laughs) I was totally wrong. And it turns out that the benefit was exactly the same, 135 to 150, 150 to 200, as it was 200 and higher. And I very nearly made it impossible for us to say what I just said, because halfway through, we stopped recruiting those people. So I'm really pleased that circumstances defeated me and that I was wrong because we've learned a lot in the process of doing the reduce a trial in terms of baseline triglycerides. 
this was an amazing information that we all are now using, right, in our clinical practice. Until the strength trial came, we started to feel perhaps a little bit shaken about the results. So what are your thoughts on strength? Uh Since the surprisingly, maybe even shockingly positive results from Reduce it, I mean, I thought it would be positive, but nobody expected a 25% risk reduction. Then we were set up for disappointment with strength, which came out a couple of years later, in which we saw pretty much a 0% change. There was no difference. And I guess strength was nominally stopped a little bit early, but it was very near the same number of events that they would have had in any case. And then again, very shocked and very disappointed with what we have so far on prominent, which is just top line. And that is, again, no benefit whatsoever, stopped early for futility. And we will have close to the full number of events, but we'll be a little bit short. So it's very interesting how these clinical trials in so many ways are unpredictable. And there's a saying that I like, which is, if we knew what we were doing, we wouldn't call it research. So the point is, I love it, so smart that reduce it might be beneficial, but only modestly so. And strength, of course, had to be the same. And prominent had to be the same. And basically, I was wrong, at least in all three cases. So three strikes, you're out. That's, that's me as a uh, smart lipidologist in the, the hypertriglyceridemia space. What do you think about prominent? This is now becoming really an interesting, maybe news for all of us. Can you tell us a little bit your thoughts, what might have happened or what do you think? Yeah, so, so we don't know a lot, but I think we know enough to say quite a bit. And the quite a bit, to put it succinctly, is as follows. With the fibrates in general, there was a very strong trend to greater benefit with higher triglycerides and lower HDL. And we're talking about triglycerides generally over 200 or so, and then HDL generally below 40 or so. And this was shown actually by two meta-analyses. The one that most of us have looked at is the one by Frank Saxon, co-workers in the New England Journal, very short paper, longer paper showed the same thing. So one of the things that we knew, and I'm putting quotes around KNEW, is that fibrates work better, the higher the triglyceride, the lower the HDL. And that, of course, makes sense. So, in fact, actually, we saw a similar pattern with an omega-3 trial, and that was with Jealous. There was a sub-analysis of Jealous, which was a, a pure EPA trial in which they did see a general benefit independent of triglycerides or HDL, but the higher triglyceride, lower HDL, there was greater benefit. So, we knew this. This was a fact, right? And so, the design of the prominent trial, and again, by way of disclosure, I'm on the steering committee of prominent, was pretty much to test the hypothesis that was raised with these various fibrate trials, including the cord lipid, the one most relevant to clinical practice, that these fibrates would work with high triglyceride, higher triglycerides, so it's still moderate, but above 200 and HDL below 40. And so that's exactly how prominent was designed. And just another word to those who maybe don't do lipids full time, pemifibrate, the drug being tested in prominent, was importantly patentable, which is of course why pharma will invest a half a billion dollars in one of these clinical trials. But also very important is the fact that pemifibrate is in virtually every way modestly or moderately better than phenofibrate. So we have a drug that is as good or better than phenofibrate, and we're setting ourselves up for success by looking at this very subgroup that these meta-analyses showed did much better with the fibrates. So of course, prominent is going to be successful, and it wasn't. 
And we're left scratching our heads and saying, why is this? Why would these subgroups seem to be so strongly implicating that a baseline triglyceride and HDL would be so strongly predictive when in fact we only study those people and it totally fails? And of course, the quick answer has to be, we're not sure. But the longer answer is this, and this, I think this is a reasonable insight. For many, many years, my career has focused on HDL. And one thing we still know to this date is that low HDL predicts high risk and high HDL predicts low risk of cardiovascular disease. But I like to say something that I think everybody will get a little chuckle out of, and that is the more we learn about HDL, the less we know. And that's just a sad testament to the fact that we thought we had HDL figured out 20 years ago. And over the last 20 years, we've had a series of of clinical trials that have basically shown us that we don't know what we're doing with HDL because we have yet to have a clinical trial where HDL raising per se has reduced cardiovascular disease. It just hasn't happened and not for lack of trying. So I'm going to tell you something that I think you've not heard before. And I think it is an important insight. And that is that triglycerides are more like HDL than we thought. Interesting. Meaning we thought we had triglycerides figured out. High triglycerides are bad. So triglyceride lowering has to be good. Well, I think we've pretty much disproven that. And that's like, wait a minute, have we done that? Well, I think we have because, first of all, reduce it. As many of you know, the lower the triglyceride in the reduce it trial made no difference in terms of the benefit of icosapenethyl. And that's like, why would that be? Well, we don't know, but that is a very clear observation. And within the range of 135 to 500 milligram per deciliter triglyceride fasting at baseline, there was very little difference in the degree of benefit, the relative risk reduction of icosapenethyl. So neither baseline nor on-treatment triglycerides seemed to matter. And that 25% risk reduction with icosapenethyl was way beyond what anyone would have expected with what was at an 18 or 19% triglyceride reduction. Fast forward to strength. Strength has the exact same triglyceride lowering, maybe even slightly better than reduce it, no benefit. Fast forward to prominent. We don't know the details yet of exactly what the triglyceride lowering was, but it, it, it was probably greater, almost certainly a little bit greater than either reduce it or strength, just because phenofibrates a better triglyceride lowering agent. So let's say it's 25% or whatever. It doesn't matter, no benefit. So our two main premises of triglyceride is that the baseline triglyceride is hugely important and the degree of lowering is hugely important, just like it is for LDL. LDL, we know, and I think we're not going to unknow this. We've had dozens of statin trials, many other trials with many other statin adjunct drugs, we call them, LDL lowering. And pretty much what you see is what you get for LDL, meaning baseline LDL predicts risk, degree of lowering either as a percent reduction or absolute reduction or on treatment LDL. They all nicely predict the risk. You can draw it a nice little regression line, and it's very simple. It actually is log linear rather than linear, but that's okay. It's still very predictable. We had assumed that the same would be true for triglycerides. And I am ready now to say with prominent, in addition to strength, that we have to unlearn that. And that triglycerides are way more like HDL than they are like LDL. So for HDL, I think everybody gets the idea that even though HDL predicts risk inversely, that treatment to raise HDL doesn't tell you what it's, what's going to happen to ASCVD events. 
I think, sadly, the same is true for triglycerides. Because in reduce it, neither baseline nor on-treatment triglycerides seem to predict risk reduction. And the same seems to be true in strength. And I'm guessing that the same is going to be proven true with prominent. Now, that's an extrapolation because all we have is a top line. But this occurs to me that now we've got to think of triglyceride and HDL more as the same side of the coin and the opposite side of this coin or the opposite end of the spectrum would be LDL. And this, of course, makes sense because triglycerides and HDL are joined at the hip. Most things that raise uh, triglycerides will lower HDL. and Most things that raise HDL will lower triglycerides. And so there's a little bit of disconnect on with a couple of uh, cases, but most of the time that is true. So I think right now we need to start unlearning the idea that we've got to have a goal for triglycerides like we have for LDL. And long ago, we decided we didn't need a goal for HDL because this doesn't seem to connect to risk reduction. So very, very interesting, I find prominent, again, just a top line, because I think it's telling us something new about triglycerides. And I was on the writing panel for ACE guidelines about triglycerides. And I was trying to say, hey, you know, let's maybe not do a triglyceride goal. Let's not be quite so strong in endorsing phenofibrate to get the triglyceride to a given level. But that was in the absence of any information from prominent. And now that prominent is negative, I'm just saying, well, maybe I happen to be right in that case, not necessarily (laughs) knowing the prominent was going to show that, but I think it does. So I think triglycerides are one of those situations where we know there's a risk we have the idea that it's related to mechanisms for risk, just like we do for HDL. But somehow the simplistic notion that triglycerides have to be below a certain point is not true. And getting them there by any means is not beneficial. So LDL is off by itself, triglycerides and HDL off by themselves, and just a very different playing field than we had just a couple of weeks ago. So to me, a, a huge sea change is in process in lipidology. I will just point out that pemifibrate is not dead. There was mentioned in the press release the uh, evidence for uh, benefit with NASH. And there are some other things that are going to be coming out in public shortly that I can't talk about further. But pemifibrate has a future. It's just not what we thought it would be for just kind of generic triglyceride lowering to goal. This was such a great time. I didn't even realize how long it has been that we have been discussing. Thank you so much for your insight and wisdom. And I'm looking forward to talking to you more. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to another great ACE podcast. Join us for another episode at aace.com slash podcasts and help us in our mission to elevate clinical endocrinology. Together, we are ACE.